0: Among all the sermons in the New Testament, Acts chapter 20 is unique. It is unique because it is the only sermon in the book of Acts given by the Apostle Paul to an exclusively Christian group of hearers. Most of his sermons were evangelistic in nature in the book of Acts. A number of other sermons by Paul were legal defenses as he would be tried for being a faithful servant of God. But Acts 20, especially verses 17 through 38, are unique and they speak volumes about how we can, as the people of God, bring greater life. To the church of God, greater health, greater stability. And really when you look at Acts 20, if you want the church to grow, think like a missionary and consult the world's second greatest missionary, the Apostle Paul, here in Acts 20. This morning, we looked at four principles from some of the early verses of this particular lesson or sermon. We talked about in Acts 20, verses 17 through 21, this principle live exemplary lives and talk often and well about Jesus. Live exemplary lives and talk often and well about Jesus, from verses 17 through 21. Then we looked at verses 22 and 23, and they talk about trials and afflictions, imprisonment and affliction. And the idea I brought out there is this. God's people at all times should put their trust in the providence of God. We do not always know what lies ahead, do we? Even if we are great uh, planners, some things do not go according to our plans. Isn't that right? But we can always trust in the providence of God. Keep your Bible there at Acts 20, but turn to Romans 8 and verse 28. Let me just briefly touch on that particular passage as it regards the providence of God. Romans 8:28. It'll be well known to most of you. In Romans 8:28, Paul says, "And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose." Let's examine that passage more fully. And there are several observations I would like to make with you before we go back to Acts 20. First of all, think about this. Confidence. Confidence in providence. And we what? And we what? We know. We ought to have confidence in the providence of God. There are some things we don't know. We don't always know how to pray as we ought. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. But we know that God exercises a special providence for His people. Confidence in providence. Secondly, we know all things. The scope of God's providence. Sometimes we want to think that our circumstances are the exception. That God's really not working in our lives. We get down and discouraged as Christians sometimes. But we know all things The scope of God's providence. In Paul's case, the providence of God was going to take him to Jerusalem. He wasn't forbidden to go there by the Spirit. Remember that in our discussion this morning? But when he got there, he was going to be imprisoned. And he was going to be mistreated. And he was going to be tried. And eventually, in the providence of God, Paul would put Rome on trial before God due to their arrogance and sin. Keep looking at Romans eight twenty eight. Not only do you have confidence and scope, you have the harmony of providence. All things work together. You ever feel like everything's a wreck? You give the appearance of being a person that's got everything together, but if they only knew how messed up things really were in our lives, there can be this wonderful sense of of concern for Christians God cares for and provides for his people and when I love him and want to please him there's a confidence that we all can have that he will see us through the harmony of God's providence the purpose all things work together for what for good Anything that will conform us to the image of Jesus is really for our good, Romans 8 and verse 29. But notice the recipients or the objects. God doesn't say all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. It doesn't stop right where it for to them that love the Lord. Condition, object, recipient. And those that are the called according to His purpose. Loving God and being a child of God are involved in that. What great hope we can have because of God's providence. Go back to Acts 20. Now, it's good to see my dear friend Dale Wolf here with his son Mike. And Mike and I have gotten to be pretty good buddies. Sherry, his wife's here too. Mike said... Sent me a text, said, think we're going to be able to bring dad to services tonight. Great to see you, Dale. So he said, keep it short. And we'll try to honor that request. But we'll move quickly, all right? But we'll try to give you as much value for the time as we can. In Acts chapter 20, having dealt with this idea of believing in the providence of God, he goes on to say, verse 24, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Be a person that testifies, that speaks of the grace of God, the gospel of the grace of God, understanding something about the nature of serving. And then in verses 25 through 27, we noted earlier, you've got this idea of being faithful to your ministry. There ought to be something when it comes to the work of the Lord that really excites you. Maybe it is cooking food. I know that Miss Wanda Wolf probably cooked enough food to fill this auditorium over the 60 years or so she cooked food for people that were in need. It's amazing to think about what people do in a lifetime of service when they use their gifts, things that they really enjoy doing to the honor and glory of God. Now, let's look at verses 28 through 31. In verses 28 through 31, Paul says something, especially to the leaders of the church, but in a very legitimate sense, there's an application to all. What he says is this, protect the church from those who would harm it. Protect the church from those who would harm it. And again, he's speaking initially to church leaders, Acts 20 and verse 17, to elders. Acts 20, verse 28, presbyters or bishops. Same passage, verse 28, shepherds or pastors. These are three different ways of speaking of the same type position in the church. Elders are to be men of maturity. They're to be men of oversight, and they are to be men of heart, a shepherd's heart. That's who he's speaking to, but there's a sense in which all of us should be concerned about protecting the church from those that might harm it. Notice what Paul goes on to say. He goes on to speak of the attitude or disposition that leaders should have. And anyone that loves the church... Pay careful attention, verse 28 says. You continue to read the passage. It says, be alert. Two imperatives. Pay close attention and really be alert because we need to be concerned about things that are said and done in the church and that they are God-honoring and biblically appropriate Go on and see what Paul says about this, the timing. After my departure, and then the problem, grievous wolves will enter. After my departure, after I leave, grievous wolves will enter and will not spare the flock. Now just stop and think about this, Brother Bill, historically. Around 61 A.D. there was the Colossian heresy that got started not too far from Ephesus where these men had been serving as leaders. And undoubtedly it would make its way like teaching often does that's not true. You know, error goes around the world twice while truth is still putting on its boots it seems. Not just that. A few short years later, about 63 to 68, Paul would have to write 1 and 2 Timothy and he would be dealing with major problems in the church doctrinally and exhorting Timothy to teach what he needed to. A few years later, the epistles, the letters of John would be written and then you get finally to the book of Revelation and isn't there the letter to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2? and how they had left their first love. We tend to give Ephesus a pass. We talk about Laodicea, and it's the church that makes God sick. You know, Revelation 3, 14 through 22. We tend, Logan, to give Ephesus a pass. But imagine, imagine God having to say to someone, you have left your first love, you've left your first love me. They're still concerned about religion and the faith, it seems. They've just lost their fire and passion for God. Yes, the very things Paul was talking about, grievous wolves coming in. Wolves in sheep's clothing, Jesus would say. Matthew 7, 15 would occur. How do you deal with that? You don't develop a chicken little sky is falling type of spirit. You look at the next verse, verse 32 in Acts 20, and here you find the, the solution. How will we deal with false teaching and religious error uh, as far as teaching goes and false living? How do we deal with that? I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among the sanctified. That's how. So you go with having this concern for the purity of the church and for its protection so that souls can be protected, but you go to this principle, trusting in the power of God's Word. When we trust in the power of God's Word, we can effectively deal with error. Titus 1 verse 9 speaks of elders being able through the Word to convict those who speak contrary to it. I suggest that's not something just that elders should take seriously, but all of us who love the church should. Follow with me. He says, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. And here's really what he's saying, Bob. I entrust you to the care of God and His word. I believe those are pretty good, uh, pretty, a pretty good place to have the care placed in. I place you in the care. I entrust you to the care of God and His word because the word is able, catch this, To build you up, number one. To give you an inheritance, number two. Among those that are sanctified. It can make us more holy and more right as we grow. Right before God. And that's what counts. Keep looking. Look at verses 33 and 34 of Acts 20. In verses 33 and 34, Paul sets forth this principle. If you're going to put it in our language, he says something like this. Constantly evaluate your motives. Constantly evaluate your motives. If you want the church to be a beacon of light, to give people hope in Jesus and His gospel, constantly evaluate your own motives. Here they are. Think about it. I coveted no man's gold or apparel. Covetousness was something that was far removed from the mind of Paul, this desire for things. The Lord said, take heed, beware of covetousness. A man's life consists not in the abundance of things he possesses, Luke 12 And verse 15. You know, preachers then, like preachers now, might have been concerned about big paychecks and fancy clothes. But those things didn't amount to anything to the Apostle Paul, did they? Do they to us? More perhaps sometimes than they ought Constantly evaluate your motives. In Luke 16 verses 9 through 13, the Lord talks about being faithful in unrighteous mammon. And the idea is by taking care of the things that are really smaller and less significant eternally and making sure that we're faithful in those matters... Your debit card, your credit card, your checkbook say a lot about your values and mine. I coveted no man's gold or apparel. He was always looking out for things like this so people would know that he was motivated only by love for God and his gospel and a desire to truthfully and lovingly proclaim that message. He had the right to receive support in his work, but Paul often supported himself as a tent maker, didn't he? And he often supported himself and did not use a right that he had, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 6, to be supported in the gospel. He didn't use a right that he had because he wanted to show people how important it is to be above board. A person of character. And so when you look at this particular verse... Verses 33 and 34, God constantly wants His people to evaluate our motives. Are they pure? Are they noble? Are they God-centered? Continue looking at the passage. Acts 20, notice verses 34 and 35. Building on what He's just said about Constantly evaluating your motives, he says, Be generous in giving and in helping those who are needy. Be generous in your giving and in helping those who are needy. I worked with my own hands, Paul says, so that I could take care not just of myself, but those who were in the, in, in the company of teachers with me, and one of the things that was really important for us was that we reached out generously to those who were poor and those who were in need. James 1 and verse 27. The widows, the orphans, the herding. And Paul's life was a virtual show and tell in that regard. He showed them in a very telling way by his generosity and his willingness to help. Are we? If we're interested in the church, listen to a missionary. we got to think like a missionary and think theologically, think biblically. But he's thinking practically. Sometimes you really cannot help people just yet with the message of the gospel until you can overcome the growls that are really roaring of their stomach. Hungry people. Continue. Look at verse 36. Acts 20 and verse 36 says, When he had finished saying these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. The idea is this. After thinking and scrutinizing things biblically, make sure that all matters are taken to the throne of God. Make sure all matters are taken to the throne of God. Here's what's happened. I want you to get this picture. And it's really amazing. Steve, it goes something like this. He has poured out his heart to these men, these elders of the church at Ephesus. He's laid bare his soul and his concerns about the church and the future. And at this point, he simply has to pray. How about us? Praying for the future, praying for the present, giving prayers of thanksgiving for the past. We have so much to pray about. Some of us think that we're really busy. And I know around here many people are. But we are so busy, we simply cannot keep from praying. There's so much going on that if we don't pray, we're really going to be in trouble. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. All of these are so interconnected, but look at the last couple of verses. Verses 37 and 38. And if I could summarize what they're really about and how they can really help the church today to be a a beacon of light and give great hope to people, here's what I'd say. Don't be afraid to show emotion in a true Christian way. Don't be afraid to show emotion in a true Christian way. Look at verses 37 and 38. It says there was much weeping and embracing and kissing. That part of the world, kiss on the cheek. And they accompanied Paul to where he would board a ship and eventually travel toward Jerusalem. Each one of those action verbs is striking. Much weeping. A lot of embracing. Sometimes a person does not need or even necessarily want you to say anything. Sometimes a hug helps a lot, doesn't it? A display of tender affection, holding their hand, accompanying them to do things that will not be easy, that may be indeed quite difficult. These are all part of rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Romans 12, 15. They are expressions of the affection and brotherly love that ought to exist among the people of God. Therefore, we need to express those wisely and in a God-honoring, pure way because they help people through difficult times. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. How about that? We're going to make it after all. I hope that as we've looked at Acts 20 today, it's kind of renewed your fire to be a person that wants the church to grow and prosper and you want to think like a missionary more here in Midland, Texas. That'll bless the body of Christ in the long run. It'll bless you too. If you're not a Christian through faith, repentance, and baptism, come to Jesus this very hour. Don't wait knowing what Jesus did for you at the cross and how the church was purchased with His blood, how can you be right with God and not part of the church that He purchased with His blood? Through faith and repentance and baptism, sins are dealt with. We contact the death of Jesus where he shed his blood. We are buried with him in baptism, and we are people who rise to walk in newness of life at the point of baptism. Therefore, no matter what people may say about baptism, the Bible speaks to its necessity. It's part of coming to Jesus, a vital part. For those of us who are Christians, let's support one another. One of the things I love about this church is people are real, genuine. We can always improve in how we love each other more. But I do believe we love each other. God help us to demonstrate that better and to more people. Let us stand and sing.